prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. Please be seated. Let me say welcome to you and for those who are visiting with us and have gotten a visitor's packet. If you'll pass those cards to the inside aisle, we will pick those up for you at this time. We have an opportunity to have a, a record of your attendance, and we are grateful that you have decided to be with us today. I have, I have a lot of Bibles in my office. I don't have too many Bibles in my office that are held together with decades-old paper tape. But I do have one. My grandfather passed away in the 90s. My grandmother stayed in that particular house for quite a while. And one day after we had gotten out of preaching school, that would be in the early 2000s, she called the family haze and said, I'm done living here. I, I don't really know what that means. So her idea was, my friends, who I have known for 80 plus years, have all moved themselves into an assisted living facility. Now, this particular assisted living facility was one of those that if you were more independent and you didn't need any help, they might come by and check on you or just even give you a call. They would let you be as independent as you possibly could. It was really like an old person's cool hotel. They just sort of hung out there all the time. If you wanted something, you'd just call them. They'd bring it down to your room. Well, when we began to downsize all of things, one of the things that I walked away with was this Bible. I didn't think much about it. I put it on the shelf in my office, and every now and again I would point to it and say, that's my grandfather's Bible. Then, moving from Alabama to Arkansas, putting this Bible in a box... This fell out. It's an outline. This outline was preached in West Alabama 40 years, 7 months, and 4 days ago. This is not my outline. But, I'm going to give it a whirl today. And see if I can preach my grandfather's sermon. If you have any problems with this, I can show you where he's buried if you want to talk to him. <laughs> let's, let's try to do this. The title of it he has is, Why Can't They See? If you have your Bible, let me encourage you to turn that to Matthew chapter 13. If you were part of our first and second grade class, as we were to mention this parable, I would ask you that God wants us to be good what? And your answer would be, good dirt. 
It's the parable of the soils. Sower went forth to sow, and he began to, to strew or strow seeds from place to place, and some fell on the uh, pathway. And because it fell on the pathway, those birds came by and ate it. And there were others that fell amongst the rocks, and, and it would begin to grow, and yet the sun would begin to beat on it, and because it had no root, it would wither and die. Some fell amongst the thorns and would produce a plant. And that plant would eventually be choked out by what we'll find by Jesus' words as the cares and the, the concerns of this life. But there was other that fell on good soil. And as those plants grew, then those plants would produce uh, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. He ends this particular parable in about verse 9 or 10 by saying, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples, as this idea and this form of teaching, this parable, as it begins, they, they're having a hard time with it. Because what Jesus does, in essence, is tell those parables... And then sort of walk away from those. And he says, why don't you explain those further? And so Jesus goes on and he answered and said, because uh, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. He goes on in verse 14 and says, and in them is filled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saying, by hearing they shall hear and not understand, and seeing they shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand and be converted. For the things that they hear. We often look around at our world and we ask this particular question. Why can't they see what the Bible says so plainly? We have, asking that question in effect, made two groups of people out of all of mankind. Those who are following after what God says and the other group is uh, those who are not either actively following or following at all what God says. So over the next few minutes, we're going to look at the idea of why can't they see. And perhaps it is the question, why can't they see that the Word of God is truth? And it is. When you and I look at verses like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 and 17, we read things like Paul writing by the inspiration of God that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Stop right there. <coughs> Excuse me. Inspiration. What a great word that is. To breathe out. You know, there's only two or three particular times within God's Word that God mentions breathing out. The first time it's mentioned, He mentions it about Adam. And so God breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. One of the next times it's mentioned, you find it in Ezekiel chapter number 37, where Ezekiel is confronted by God himself. And God says, Son of man, 
You think I can, you think I can turn this valley of dry bones into an army? And Ezekiel is a big fat chicken. Here's what he says. I think God can do whatever God wants to do. It's not the question he asked. That's the safe answer. Ezekiel, do you think he can do it? So the bones began to move and make skeletons. And so the ligaments began to form over those bones and, and the muscles began to form over those ligaments and the flesh begins to form over those muscles. And you know what you have? A valley of corpses. It's not until God breathes across them the breath of life until that army stands up. This scripture that's given to us by God is given to us by the breath of God that is full of life, full of truth. Psalm 119, 160 says that God's word is truth forever. From the point in time in which that was written, or from the point in time there was no time? Yes. Even before God said it, it was still true. Chew on that for a minute. You'll find in first, or John rather, chapter 8 and verse 32 that, that God's Word is truth, and in John chapter 17 and verse 17 that we're to be sanctified through that truth. All of those ideas pointing toward God's Word is true does me no good without 2 Timothy chapter 2, <coughs> verse number 15. Here's really what I want. I want a head that's like the top of a mason jar, which sounds like an odd thing to say. But I want God to unscrew the lid and take that lid off and pour his word in there and then take that lid and put it back on. That'd be a whole lot more convenient and easy for me to know what God says, doesn't it? It would be. But it is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, where God would say, Study to show thyself approved. Unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We as a people so often study the Bible with a prejudiced attitude. Perhaps we study it to prove ourselves right. Or to prove the Bible wrong. If I study the Word of God trying to prove myself right, I fail. And if I try to study the Word of God proving the Bible wrong, I will fail. Because I very often am wrong, and the Bible is always right. Why can't they see the Word of God is truth? Why can't they see portions of the Word of God, all of the Word of God, but portions here as we mark them, are still true. The entirety of the religious world would say, I believe that mankind has to hear what God has to say. The entirety of the religious world would say that mankind needs to believe what God says. The entirety of the religious world would say that mankind needs to repent. The entirety of the, the religious world would say that mankind needs to uh, confess that Jesus is the Savior. And we would be right on track with what the Bible says until you get to this question. 
What's the deal with baptism? It would be Jesus in Mark chapter 16 and also in, in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 where Jesus would say, you go baptize those, you baptize every creature, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and you teach them how to live right. It would be the opening of the doors of the church in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38 where Peter, inspired of God once again, would say, repent and be baptized to every one of you for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It would be Paul who writes about his conversion into Christ as he's speaking to that preacher, Ananias, where Ananias would say, What are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing, how about this phrase, washing away your sin. It would be the apostle Peter by the inspiration of God in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 21 that said, Baptism doth also now save us. And if you go back to about verse 19 and 20, what you'll read is baptism will save us in the same fashion in which the ark saved Noah. Is baptism alone? Is that what he's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21? Baptism alone? No. <coughs> There's an interesting literary device known as a synecdoche. Anybody know that? See how many people here in this? Good, one. All right. Party of one. Don't feel bad. 745 didn't know either. Chloe, are you ready to go to school? 710 in the morning. Yes, I am ready. Well, then go get in the car. Have you gotten all of your things? Yes. So we drive to school. Or she does with her mother. 12 minutes later, Dad, I forgot my clarinet. Well, it looks like you won't be playing clarinet today. Then those immortal words. Can you bring it to me? And I didn't ask her a thing about that clarinet when I asked her, was she ready? But I asked her everything about that clarinet when I asked her, was she ready? I asked her, was she ready to go to school? Which encompassed everything that would be from clean clothes and undergarments to clean socks and shoes. And have you combed your hair? Have you brushed your teeth? Do you have everything that you would need in your book bag? Do you have everything that you would need for a band? Do you have everything that you would need? In one simple statement, are you ready? To which Peter would say, baptism. The culmination of following all of God's plan, not just part of it results in my salvation. What else would God need to say about baptism to allow them to understand, those in that group, to understand what the truth of baptism is? How, how much more does he need to explain it? Notice this. How about the idea of singing? We look at this particular idea, and as you look at buildings that look similar to this one around our uh, city today, there is definitely something missing here, isn't there? It's because you can't play an instrument, right? 
No, I can play an instrument. But Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, James chapter 2, and, or James chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 2, along with five additional ones after that, would tell me God expects me to sing. S-I-N-G. Here's some homework for you over Thanksgiving break. <clears throat> Take an opportunity and look through from Matthew to Revelation and find the verse that said, God said you can sing and play. Because it ain't there. Singing is exclusive, just as exclusive as praying and swimming. You say, what? Can I swim and pray at the same time? Well, if I'm drowning, I better. Do I do that here? No. How many more times, other than nine times, and a, and a tenth one, if you'll let me bend it just a little bit, how many more times than nine does God need to say, I want you to sing and not play? I want you to sing, sing, sing. And that would go with any portion of worship service. Why can't they, not, why can't they see that? It's as, as we would say in the older generation, it's as plain as the nose on our face, isn't it? It's just as plain as, as everything can be. We're good at looking at what they don't see. We're, we're good at pointing out what they have missed. Take a few moments. Take a few moments and forget about those who are outside of this room. And let's take a few moments to answer this question. Why can't we see? We like to find the fault within others, which I think sort of makes us feel better where I can say, well, I'm not as bad as... Let's take a few minutes and ask our question, why can't we see? About the gathering. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number 10. I know you have probably read this a ton. But let's... let's um, Put verse 25 and 26 together. And let's start with this question. Did you know that the gathering of the saints together in places like this, on days like this, is called a congregation? Somebody shake or nod in here. Do y'all know that? Are we awake? Good, good. We... We gather in places like that, this, and it's called a congregation. The root word of the word congregation is congregate. The meaning of congregate is to loiter, to hang out, to be with, and have an intense desire to be with. Now, I'm going to throw something out here. I want you to chew on it. How are you going to be a congregation that doesn't congregate? How's that possible? Well, in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews writer writes several things. In beginning verse 22, he begins a, a section of Scripture where he says, let us do this and let us do that. And he, he goes through there and says, let us 
uh, draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider one another and push each other toward those good works. And then, then in verse number 25, he said, And let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another daily and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we willfully sin after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Notice first what's being said. <laughs> this Hebrews writer first is mentioning how things are even at the time of the writing of this particular book. Don't think that the, the mindset and the ideas of avoiding congregations and crowds is new to COVID. It was happening then. He said, don't forsake, don't, don't stop meeting simply because that's what some folks are doing. He says, as a matter of fact, exhort each other so that you look forward to those days in which you do meet. And he goes on in verse 26 to say this, now here's the problem. If you decide... To sin willfully after those things have been made amends for. He writes in, in this statement, but we want to flesh it out a little bit. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Are you ready? If you and I decide to sin willfully after God has forgiven us, there ain't enough blood in Jesus the Christ to remit that sin. Wow, that's pretty tough. You, you know what the Hebrews writer is writing? You cannot be a Christian on Sunday and Wednesday. You cannot do that. That's impossible. You have to be a Christian every day. It doesn't stop and start as you and I walk in through those doors. We don't put our Christian coats on and then when we get done, take those things off. You are either a Christian or not. Now choose. Man, that's hard, isn't it? What about us? Why, why can't we see that? It would be in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1 where Paul would write by the inspiration of God that there are those that need help and that you and I who are spiritual should, uh, should help those. And notice this in the latter portion of verse 1. For this reason lest I also be tempted. I may not have a problem with gathering, but I may have a problem somewhere else. And if I can help you have a desire to gather more, maybe you can help me with my problem. And there comes a point at which we walk through this life hand in hand, and not only through this life, but through those gates into heaven. Isn't that what it's about? Why can't we see that? Why can't we see that brotherly love is, is necessary in order to do this? <coughs> Way back when, at the Memphis School of Preaching, especially during our Greek class, when you took a test, when it was graded, you slid it to the man to your right. 
and he would grade your test. I was never fond of that particular way of testing. The guy who sat to my right was a man by the name of Patrick Swain. I love Patrick Swain. I didn't like him. He was young, smart as a whip. Man, he had, he had the world by the tail. And I would write on the top of my Greek test every time, Hebrews 13.1, pass it right over there, where the Hebrews writer writes, let brotherly love continue. See, we see it as a punchline most of the time. But the fact of the matter is, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Hebrews chapter 13, whatever you and I do that's not motivated by brotherly love is motivated in the wrong fashion. Brotherly love involves forgiveness. And not only forgiveness, but forgetting. Being done with. We, we, we are to forgive in the same fashion in which God forgives. Now, I hope it is not the fact that when I get there, he's going to say, I have forgiven you of these, but let's go over them. Ooh. I don't want to do that. Brother, love begins being uh, that understanding that you and I can disagree without being disagreeable. Let me show you what I mean by that. This morning at the 745 service, there were several who asked me, how'd you like that game? And that was their whole sentence. And I thought they were asking me about the Arkansas game. And I would answer the game that I was more interested in, watching Auburn lose to South Carolina. That was terrible. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Brother Clark Sims, as he was standing here? All right, somebody shake or nod. There you go. <clears throat> if you asked him that same question about the Arkansas game, he would tell you how there are holes in Alabama's defense and how they need to shape things up because... Uh, you no, know, Nick Saban has lost one regular season game this week or this year, so he's probably on the hot seat. He is a staunch Alabama fan. And he would, when those curtains closed and that timer stopped, he would sit by you, put his arm around you, and sing and worship God. Because while you can disagree on these small things, he's not going to be disagreeable with you. Because, brethren, we are in the family of God. And aren't we supposed to love each other? Why can't we see that? Purity in life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 24, you and I run upon a list known as the fruit of the Spirit. And if I try to sing it, I will mess every one of them up. Do you know those fruit of the Spirit? That one fruit that, that is, uh, that is uh, described several different ways. Love, joy, peace, all of those things as they are mentioned in that particular way. That fruit of the Spirit in my life showing those things 
proves my purity first toward God and then toward man. Now, listen right here. I can't be pure toward man until I am pure toward God. Period. I'll tell you something else about chapter number 5 in the book of Galatians. The works of the flesh are mentioned there too. And we can put every single life that is on this planet right now up against either the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh and find out where people are. And that includes mine. And I'm not sure I like that. Some days I hit the fruit of the Spirit. And then there are other days. Purity in life. Why can't I see that God wants me to be pure in my life? What about discipline? Self-discipline. And, and uh, one of those places that was told to me by the, by the outline to go is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a problem happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you and I look at it and we say, yeah, it's because that guy has his father's wife as his wife. That's not the problem. That is a problem. Don't, don't misunderstand that. That's a big issue. That's not the problem. The problem is found in verse number 2 when the local congregation there in Corinth is puffed up about it. As a matter of fact, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, you have a sin that's going on that's so bad that not even the Gentiles would do that. Now that ought to make you mad, being Gentiles. Paul think that little of you? Not what he's speaking about. He's not speaking about physical Gentiles. He's speaking about spiritual Gentiles. The people in the world do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, because they have no regulations. But you in the church are supposed to have regulations. And my goodness, look at what you are doing. And you're puffed up about it. What Corinth says is, we are, we are the tolerant church. We, we let everybody kind of come in and do their own thing. <coughs> halfway, that's a good statement. Here's the halfway where it's a good statement. Every single person in Hot Springs and in Arkansas and in our nation and in the world ought to be welcome to come into this building. But if you're going to meet in here like the church, you can't stay like the world. And that's what's happening in 1 Corinthians. He said, don't you know that a little leaven right here is leavening the whole lump, that, that, that this little bit of sin is going to affect the whole congregation? What am I supposed to learn from this particular chapter? This is, I think, as plain as I can say this. We don't get to do everything they get to do. comes with salvation comes with the idea of changing self and following Christ 
And when I change self and I follow Christ, I have to live underneath the same godly discipline that Jesus the Christ lived under. I can't just do anything I want to do. So we look at self-discipline. Why can't we see that? Let's look at ourselves for just a second. <coughs> if through this lesson you can see why we can't see the plain truth, then it is the fact that you can see why they can't see it. And it boils down to two things. It either boils down to ignorance or apathy. That I don't know or I don't care. It boils down to one of two things. Perhaps they, the world, don't know. That's the best of both situations, that they don't know. And that we have an opportunity to teach them, and then they can find out what the truth is, and then they follow that truth. Perhaps it is that they don't know. There are some in the group of they, who at one point in time were our brothers and sisters, faithful brothers and sisters, who were no longer our faithful brothers and sisters. And I'm afraid that group is not ignorant to the Word of God. I'm afraid they're apathetic toward the Word of God. Just doesn't care. Let's forget about they for a moment. Let's focus in on not we in the room, but we, me, in your seat. Because here's the good news of this entire sermon. If you can see the truth about God's Word and about God's principles and how God would have us live our lives, if you can see the truth, then you can obey that. And that's really the best news I have for you. If you can see the truth, you can hear what God has to if you can see the truth, you can understand what He has to say. You can repent of your sin and you can confess that Jesus is the Christ and you can be baptized to be a part of the family of God, to walk out of this room being saved by God's plan of salvation for mankind. You can do that. Now, for those of you who have, seeing the truth also requires me to see myself and where my shortcomings are and where my faults are. And when I see those things, what I see is somebody who's not nearly as good as you think he is it's someone who's just a person and has the choice day by day to follow God or follow self. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes he chooses what's right, sometimes not. Does that sound familiar? 
If you're living that lifestyle that is in contrary to God's Word, God would call that being unfaithful. He would urge you to come back home. Renewing the zeal found within the Christian life. Renewing the the pride that, that you and I have of being a child of God's and having a desire to teach others those same facts, I then can be not only a faithful child of God, but a faithful and working child of God. And that's the good news. Just because I haven't seen doesn't mean I don't see now. Have you put on Christ in baptism? If not, today is your day. You can do that in just a few moments. Are you living that faithful life? If not, today is your day. Come back home. Live that faithful life. Come back home to a God that loves you. Come back home to a family that misses you. Right now, while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus Christ.